the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 250 from March 13th, 2011. AT&T confirms the 4G upload issue, iPad 2 customers met with long lines and limited supplies, and iOS 4.3 rolls out. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week with the help of listeners like you, subscribers to The Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked. More information at thecellphonejunkie.com. The show is also supported by The Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and the iOS for $1.00. And 99 cents. Well, first this week, I want to take a moment to recognize all those in Japan who are going through an extremely difficult time. Each week, we provide an entertaining show that thousands of people from around the world are listening to. And while it's important to have enjoyment in our lives, this week I'm shifting the focus to helping those in need in commemoration of this, the 250th show. For each person who signs up for the Unlock Show this week, 100% of your first month's subscription will be donated to the American Red Cross's Japan Earthquake and Tsunami Relief Fund through the iTunes donation page. So if you've been thinking you'd like to check out the Unlock Show but were hesitant, please do so this month. Your money is going to a good cause. The money donated by the Red Cross will enable uh, them to provide shelter, food, and emotional support for those that are victims of the disaster. If you're already an Unlock subscriber and you'd like your subscription this month to go to the Relief Fund, drop me an email and I'll make sure that you're included as well. Well, next, I'd like to reflect just briefly on this, the 250th episode of The Cell Phone Junkie. Now, the show started back in July of 2007, and at the time, it was little more than my desire to talk about phones. 249 shows later, the show has transformed into the leading consumer-focused cell phone podcast that you listen to each week. We've covered about 12,000 news stories over that time and talked for over 10,000 minutes and created one terabyte of raw audio data in the process. Since the beginning of 2008, we've brought you a show each and every week and you can always count on us for your weekly phone fix. Thanks to everyone for listening each week, for subscribing to The Unlock Show, and for supporting our sponsors. It's each and every one of you that helps keep this show going. Now, we'd like to talk a little bit about a couple of things that were going on this week. First off, Joey said he's got a story he'd like to share about some fishing stuff that's been happening. Yeah, this week, uh, somebody at uh, the office had uh, claimed uh, uh, Sprint had called them and needed their um, needed the security code for the account. And, of course, he didn't know what that was, so um, he just, you know, hung up the phone and told me about it. So I called Sprint, um, kind of thinking, oh, maybe something is going on, just, you know, because occasionally they, they, they send messages out um, with uh, issues like overages and uh, the account being passed due, and they sometimes go to random phones. So um, I thought, oh, okay, so I called him up, and while I was sitting there on uh, just for the two seconds on hold, um, it, it dawned on me that, you know, it's probably a fraudulent call. And of course, after I asked the person about it, they said, yeah, we've been getting reports of these over the past couple of days that, uh, lots of people have been getting this similar style message asking for the security code verification. And they also asked for credit card numbers. And of course, that's what they're really fishing for. So, um, just, uh, as kind of a, as a, be, be advised if you receive a call like that, uh, don't enter your information, even if it looks like it's coming from uh, your carrier, Sprint, Verizon, whomever it may be that, uh, of course, caller IDs are easily forged. So uh, don't believe it. And uh, if you uh, do have a question or if you think it could be real, hang up, call them back directly, you know, using your normal 611 or star two or whatever your, your carrier uh, phone number is, and then ask them about it. 
And that's kind of like how banks work. They will never call you asking for personal information. They've got your information. There's no reason for them to call and ask you for that, that piece. Absolutely. Same with emails, especially emails. They're the, they're the worst. But yeah, don't ever respond uh, to something that comes into you. Yeah. All right. Uh, also, you said you picked up a new gadget this week, the Cradle Point. So let's hear about that. Yeah, I, I, um, you had mentioned something last week, Mickey, that just got my, my gears turning. And uh, looking on eBay, I found a Sprint version of the Cradle Point uh, PHS 300S, which is the Sprint, the S for Sprint. And it's uh, it connects to a BlackBerry. It's not uh, it, it the, the newest BlackBerry it supports is the 8830, so it's uh, hip and modern. <laughs> but I did find some references to people with the non-sprint version having you know no problem with their bold 9650, which I know my style is basically the 9650s chipset. So I thought, okay, I should be fine. And um, I did uh, I, I picked up the device for boy, it was under forty dollars shipped. Uh, great deal. Batteries in uh, good conditions. Hardware level number two or uh, hardware revision, so it supports uh, WiMAX modems as well. And it's really designed for. Uh, USB sticks uh, is really what its purpose is. And it has, it's a full-fledged Wi-Fi router. It has any setting you can do on a normal router, you can do on this thing, you know, virtual servers, ports. It has dynamic DNS support. It does everything. So it's a really, really powerful router. And at first it didn't work for me. Um, but I did go and find the the new the Sprint firmware. It was just updated uh, just in December. So um, that, uh, installing that on there made it, uh, work just fine with my BlackBerry. I plugged it in, you flip the on switch and within, I don't know, 30 seconds, uh, it, it's connected. It says Moto Moto enabled on the BlackBerry and I've got a Wi-Fi connection. And, um, what's really amazing about it is actually very, it's very quick. Uh, it's much faster than t- tethering directly to my computer, at least on the Mac side. The Mac drivers are really bad. Something about them just isn't optimized and I was able to stream a Netflix movie, no problem. And I was really, really shocked at that. Now, you were ta- telling me earlier that you had done some speed tests on it. And, and some of them were, as you'd imagine, you know, typical one megabit or so uh, speeds. But then you saw some, some speeds that were a little bit lower. But uh, I guess whatever, things, things can vary. But, um, you know, to, to, to see speeds that are, I guess, typical and then see your experience a little bit different, do you think the, there, there's some sort of... Um, you know, optimization that Cradlepoint is doing to make different, uh, you know, different functions such as streaming video to be more optimized. I uh, I wouldn't doubt it for a moment. Based on my experience, it, it's very the latency seems much less on it. It responds much quicker. Um, just browsing websites and and what I was doing, I was I was testing out remote desktop connection and that worked great. Even streaming like uh, satellite radio uh, over the web on the thing, so it was really uh, it was really performing very nicely. So. I definitely can't argue with that. And it's not a device I'll use a lot, but it'll be kind of handy to have. It has a built-in battery, so it has around uh, at least an hour of runtime, maybe up to two, probably depending on how you're using it. I guess you can uh, turn the radio power down if you don't need to be far away from it. Um, so there's there's a bunch of, uh, bunch of really cool settings in it. So definitely highly recommend checking one out. Um, if you have a tethering plan and, or, a, or a 3G stick that you use, uh, look into this device if you want a Wi-Fi signal. So the, again, that was the cradle point. And what was the model number? Uh, this one was a, I think it's a PHS 300S for Sprint. But you, they've got uh, the non-Sprint version is generic. So it works on any other carrier. Um, and you, take a look at their list of supported devices. Um, it, it's kind of short, but they do support other devices that's not on the list as well. Um, also, cradle point, I then, you know, of course, looked further into it. 
they've got some other real interesting devices that I think we've talked about before, but they have one that uh, acts as your home router um, that can switch over to 3G if your main connection goes down. So basically, you wouldn't even know that you don't have an uh, internet connection if you had a phone just sitting there or a USB stick just sitting there as backup all the time. So it's kind of a neat, uh, definitely a neat way to go. Hmm. Yeah, and there is a a model of the, the, the same unit that you got that's just the 300 that works, I think, for pretty much anything on Verizon or Altel or whatever, right? Exactly. It works on all carriers, T-Mobile, AT&T, Verizon, Sprint, okay. Altel, yeah, any of them. Hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a unique one. We've we have talked about it in the past. That just seems kind of like it fell off the radar. But in the in in the the time of tablets, and and we've got an unlock show coming up this week where we talk all about tablets. It's something to consider, so you don't have to buy a tablet that's got three uh, G built into it. If you've got your phone that already has the three G connection that you can share, and that's exactly it. If you don't have um, if you don't have the uh, the tethering capable phone like uh, an Android or the new iPhone or uh, with the the Wi-Fi hotspot enabled. This is definitely a device that uh, can save you money uh, without having to buy the, the iPad with the built-in 3G. It's uh, it's a unique thing, and uh, you know definitely uh, I was was interested in it. I may take a look at picking one up myself too. But uh, anyway, unique and, and thanks for thanks for sharing that. That's fun. Into the news this week. First off, Bloomberg on Monday said that sources close to the deal between Microsoft and Nokia have said that Nokia paid over one billion dollars to uh, to or excuse me, Microsoft paid Nokia over one billion dollars to go with Windows Phone Seven. The deal is said to give Microsoft access to parts of Nokia's patent portfolio uh, with the contract term for a reported five years. Neither Nokia or Microsoft, though, have commented on the report. Uh, According to Hewlett Packard's CEO, Leo Apotheker, HP personal computers will soon begin pulling double duty with both the Windows operating system and WebOS on them. It looks like uh, starting next year, every one of the PCs shipped by HP will include the ability to run WebOS in addition to any software from Microsoft. Uh, This is currently uh, something that we have seen in some of the Windows devices where um, they have the ability to run you know multiple OSs, but what they're talking about here is that when you buy a laptop from HP, you're going to get WebOS built in on it and shipped with it, so you just automatically get uh, the experience and you know kind of an instant-on type of experience with this. So I, th- I think this they've got some uh, some potential uh, future with this thing here. It's very interesting. They don't, they don't really go into hardware, which of course will make a difference. You know, if you've got a tablet OS, you would need a touchscreen, and they don't really explain if you're going to be poking at the screen or you're going to be using your mouse or, or how that's going to work. Um, you know, and also of course it'd be more ideal on a convertible style laptop where the screen flips over and it turns it into a tablet style unit. So, um, it, it, it's, it's obviously a move to get market penetration for this OS. And I, I don't know how much it'll really affect it because, you know, your target audience is just buying laptops so they have a laptop, not so they have a tablet OS. It may be something nice and fun to use on occasion, but it may not really affect overall the 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 actual you know number of applications and the user installed base that really is going to be using it. Uh, I mean, they can say that they've got this many devices out in the market, but you know you, they're not the, the users aren't forced to use the web OS in that case. So it's a definitely an interesting. Uh, way to go about it. And I think that uh, we've heard rumors that, you know, Mac is going to be going that way too, where they're going to be kind of building in more iOS style uh, platform, uh, you know, kind of copying that into MacBooks. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just have to see what kind of where that's going. And, and they may be trying to get a jump on that. 
Hmm. Well, it is a it's a pretty bold thing for them to do. I mean, you look at uh, what this could potentially mean for for the OS. I mean, right now they're they're a very very small percentage of the devices that are out there, web OS that is, and so it, it's exciting to see what this this could bring if it gets at least you know a, a small percentage of the people buying HP computers interested in web OS. You know, it really is because web OS is an, an amazing operating system, especially the 3.0 that's going to be coming on the uh, the tablet this year. And it's uh, it's something that uh, really should be in the hands of people because they, they did a very nice job on it. And and of course, I, I suppose if I was in the market for a, a Windows laptop, uh, I would definitely highly consider that because then it's getting something, uh, you know, getting something additional for your money. Uh, As long as the price is right and the hardware is implemented right, that could be definitely a a factor for me. Mm -hmm. I I do think it's a, it's a, a great potential great thing. And so we'll, we'll see how this pans out. Well, the chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee, Representative Peter King, introduced uh, a bill this week that would be called the Broadband for First Responders Act of 2011. And the bill would create a nationwide public safety broadband network using the so-called D-block of spectrum in the 700 megahertz range for public safety use. Though as part of the proposal, he wants to sell off the 420 to 440 megahertz band, which is heavily used currently by the military, satellites, and amateur radio operators. Now, as a ham radio operator myself, I was uh, a little, you know, turned off by this potential bill, as uh, you know, the, the 400 megahertz band is is one that gets heavily used, and so I'm not sure how this would ultimately play out, but. Uh, in you know when, once it finally gets uh, gets heard and whatnot, but I think I think there's there's certain uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, you know people up in arms if we were to see this ban go away. Well, you know there is something to be said about the ham radios that it does it really is one of those um, uh, fallback emergency networks that really has a dedicated fan base where it's kind of a you know it's amateur run but they're very dedicated to what they're doing and it really does provide an invaluable service in times of uh, of catastrophe and if you look around natural disasters it's very common that uh, ham radios are attributed to moving emergency information around quickly and efficiently whereas uh, a lot of times of course government agencies are are kind of confused on what's going on yeah and i don't think that there's uh, there's anything wrong with the potential for them to take on, take over you know, the broadband, the spectrum for public safety broadband. But um, I, I think they need to, if they decide to remove it, they need to replace it with something else. But at the same time, what does that mean for all these devices, radios that are out there right now that are capable of using the spectrum, right? Yeah, it, it's it's kind of ridiculous. They need to go ahead and um, uh, clear up more of the, the TV band. And that's where they, they, they've got plenty of room right now. And that's in the 700 or 600 range. So that that's where they should really be targeting. Hmm. Well, and uh, not to mention, if you've got all these radios that are out there and they they pull them off of the band and they give it to broadband, you know, public safety, you know, anyone that turns on one of those radios and transmits could potentially cause issues with the public safety uh, aspects of it. So it it does it doesn't seem all that realistic. No, it really doesn't. TV, the TV spectrum is is still just really the way to go, because, I mean, we each market only has, you know, basically a handful or maybe at the most two handfuls of stations and there's what how many channels do we still have left 60 some channels left and that's that covers gigantic spectrum so it really and, and of course those are only you know transmit only by the the stations themselves so it, it it's really a, a kind of a an issue here that I, I don't know if they put any thought into this 
yeah, well, other than trying to get something first out there, I guess, is uh, maybe what he's trying to do. Anyway, Verizon created a site this week to give out refunds to customers for charges tied to premium text messages from short codes that did not meet Verizon Wireless's standards for the disclosure of pricing and subscription information. The site premiumsmsrefunds.com has listed the affected codes as well as a claim form for affected users. And remember, you can block uh, this block these from your account. I know on Verizon, I think you can on Sprint as well. So um, I'd actually just preemptively do that if you haven't already um, block these uh, these third party billing services because I, I I can't even I, I don't even know one person who actual actually needs one of these services. Hmm. Yeah, I've taken that a step further and I've blocked all text messaging from all of my plans, which is why I use Google Voice so much, because that's the only way I can get messages. Anyway, congressional lawmakers this week proposing a a limit once again on state and local taxes for wireless services. The Wireless Tax Fairness Act of 2011 is with both the House and Senate right now and bars state and local governments from imposing new taxes that the bill sponsors term discriminatory and redundant. The lawmakers are also concerned that wireless taxes in many states exceed those of similar services and the fact that some states have imposed wireless taxes taxes that exceed those on luxury and uh, vice goods and services. The CTIA is also supporting the bills with President Steve Largent saying in a statement, uh, when you add the fact that policymakers are looking for ways to make affordable broadband accessible for all Americans, it's incomprehensible why 47 states and the District of Columbia would charge their wireless customers a rate that exceeds the general rates for other taxable goods and services. A hearing for the bill is set for March 15th. AT&T confirmed on Friday that upload speeds on its 4G devices like the Atrix are slower than expected and the issue will be addressed. In a response to a Better Business Bureau investigation, AT&T said, be assured that AT&T has not capped the upload speeds on the Atrix. The Atrix is an HSUPA-capable device and we are currently uh, performing the testing and preparations necessary to ensure that when we turn this feature on, you will continue to have a world-class experience. This means that while HSUPA Radio a and HSUPA radio does exist in the device, it is not able to take advantage of the AT&T network's HSUPA speeds. We talked a few weeks ago about the upload speed issues with many 3G devices that people are using, and AT&T requires that all handsets, except for the iPhone Handshake, currently with the HSDPA network known as Release 5. Release 6 was the step that brought in HSUPA, and that is what AT&T says will be turned on. Further, USB modems are already shaking hands at Release 7, which ups the ante to HSPA+. Sprint's CEO Dan Hesse on Wednesday said that the feature of the company includes both WiMAX and its partnership with Clearwire. In his speech to investors, Hesse said he thinks Sprint could do more network sharing with Clearwire, though he didn't provide any details. As an aside, the CEO of Clearwire this week has stepped down, so there is an uncertain future for what will be forthcoming from Clearwire. Also, a lawsuit filed this week against Clearwire alleging the carrier throttles down the speed of its internet service to speeds similar to dial-up telephone modem speeds. The suit claims that Clearwire has made materially false, misleading, and or deceptive representations and omissions about the speed and uh, capacity of its internet service. Rather than limiting its subscribers to a number that its broadband infrastructure can accommodate, such that Clearwire can make good on its, misrepresent- on its representations regarding the service, Clearwire signed up many more subscribers than it could handle to maximize its revenue and profit. So this could uh, potentially be issues for them if they can't uh, figure out what's going to happen with their network. And of course, that's it's always the chicken and the egg concept here when you're building out a network. You you don't want to overbuild the network 
and you don't want to, uh, you know, undersubscribe it. So you, you kind of want to be a little oversubscribed, but not too much oversubscribed. Um, so, you know, if these allegations are in fact true, um, which I'm, I wouldn't be surprised they, they are, especially in certain markets and in certain towers, uh, they've probably got some major issues here because I know we've, we've kind of heard grumblings and, and, you know, read things online that kind of lead to these over the past, this same kind of, uh, stories over the past couple of years now. And it's, definitely not good for their network no it is certainly not i think they've got uh they're the last people that need an issue like this to come up i mean it's it's been such a long time since they um you know since they really felt i felt like they were at the top of their game now they're just uh you know the they're kind of like oh yeah they're those guys that run the network that sprint uses and uh, you know unfortunately they've got to really get get themselves in gear here to to compete with what's coming down the line here in 2011 well, and as we were told by Clearwire themselves, they they're just out of money and they can't mm-hmm. even deploy any new new cities. So it's it's definitely not. Uh, I I wouldn't personally inv- and uh, invest in anything that actually uses the WiMAX network at this point. Yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty tough thing, especially if you're someone who travels. Uh, you know. On a regular basis, you've only got select cities that it works in. Sprint on Friday announcing a new promotion for customers who port their existing phone number over to Sprint. The deal will give you a $125 service credit for a new line of smartphone service or $50 credit for standard phones. Users will see the credit on their statement once they complete 60 days of service. The promotion runs through April 16th of this year. T-Mobile this week released new plans for $30, $50, or $85, giving you 200 megs, 5 gigs, or 10 gigs of data, respectively. Those that already have voice lines with the company will be qualified for a bundled discount, bringing the prices down to 20% lower. The new offerings go into effect today, Sunday, March 13th. T-Mobile on Thursday also announced five new cities for its HSPA Plus footprint. Des Moines, Iowa, Gainesville and Panama City, Florida, Monterey, California, and Savannah, Georgia bring the total number of markets with the HSPA Plus service to 157. PhoneScoop on Wednesday reported that the Coalition to Save Our GPS was formed, and that was against LightSquare to protect the country's GPS infrastructure. The Coalition says that the FCC's decision to allow LightSquare to use the 1500 MHz spectrum directly adjacent to the satellite spectrum could have adverse effects to the positioning system. The Coalition made a number of recommendations to the FCC, including a comprehensive third-party study be conducted to ascertain if there could be interference in preventing LightSquare from investing in operational facilities until this has been proved. Well, thanks to our first sponsor of the show, Square Trade. Protect your investment through a special offer from Square Trade. They offer prices 70% lower than in-store warranties. And if you visit squaretrade.com slash junkie, you'll get an additional 25% off your order. Square Trade offers a five-day guarantee, meaning you'll either have a fixed device or your money back within five days or less. Visit squaretrade.com slash junkie. Click on get a warranty, choose your device, and you'll see your podcast listener discount in the order summary for 25% off your total purchase. Thanks to Square Trade for sponsoring the show. Well, the iPad 2 arrived in retail stores at 5 p.m. on Friday to long lines, limited supplies, and the possibility that this launch could be bigger than the original iPad. Certain models of the device are under su- severe supply constraints, and while many are willing to purchase whatever is available, others were forced to go home empty-handed. Demand for the new tablet is expected to be high for the next few weeks, with online orders pushed out to three to four weeks for delivery. International releases may also be affected by the constraint, with the multi-country launch starting later this month in the wake of high U.S. demand. 
Nokia on Thursday made the E7 available for pre-order through its U.S. site. Cost of the device is $679, with shipping starting next month. The E7 was revealed by Nokia last September and went on sale in Europe last month. Sprint last week sent out an invite to a press conference dedicating two and a half hours to pulling back the curtain for the latest in wireless innovation. Rumors are now surfacing that the carrier is planning to launch three high-end Android devices, including the Nexus S4G, Evo 3D, and the Evo View, a CDMA version of the HTC Flyer tablet. The rumor comes from Wi-Fi Alliance filings from both Samsung and HTC, though no word from either manufacturer on what they plan to announce at the show. Further confirmation of the devices was found on Monday with a number of web addresses created for these specific devices. Now.sprint.com slash Nexus uh, and then now.sprint.com slash EvoView and Evo3D have all been created, though have coming soon placeholders currently for the content. Samsung on Monday revealed its latest addition to the Galaxy family, the Samsung Galaxy Pro. The Pro has a full QWERTY keyboard, Android 2.2, 800MHz CPU, 2.8-inch landscape capacitive touch display, 3-megapixel camera, and Samsung's social hub. The device will be available on UK Carrier 3 within the coming months, though no price or launch data was given. Well, if you're looking for a way to support the cell phone junkie, you can join us on TCPJ Unlocked, our bi-monthly premium podcast. Only $5 a month or $45 a year, you'll get in-depth conversations about the latest in cellular issues, interviews with industry experts, and much more. Just visit thecellphonejunkie.com and click on the link for TCPJ Unlocked. Also, remember this week that 100% of your first month's subscription will be donated to the American Red Cross for the Japanese Relief Fund. Google on Monday announced an update to Google Maps navigation for Android. The app now allows for rerouting of your route based on real-time traffic data. From the Google Mobile blog, you don't have to do anything to be routed around traffic. Just start navigation like you normally would, either from the navigation app or from Google Maps. Starting today, our routing algorithms will apply our knowledge of current and historical traffic to select the fastest route from those alternatives. This means that navigation will automatically guide you along the best route given the current traffic conditions. The new version of navigation is available in both North America and Europe. Also this week, Google announced the availability for Android and iOS users to view previews of web pages through its Instant Previews feature. The new feature provides a thumbnail snapshot of web pages in the search results. The new feature can be accessed by searching Google, then tapping the magnifying glass next to any search result. Mobile versions of sites will be displayed when applicable. Foursquare on Tuesday announced substantial updates to its iOS and Android applications. Changes changes include the new Explore tab, allowing users to uh, search for local places that have been ranked or commented on in the categories of food, coffee, nightlife, shows, and entertainment. The Me tab now provides additional information about the user and their friends, including a leaderboard, top places, and the most explored categories. Version 3 is free and available for download through the iOS App Store or Android Market. And I also believe they upgraded uh, BlackBerry this week as well. So if you've got any of those devices, make sure you check this one out. It's actually kind of neat. They've kind of upped the points, too, from what I can tell. I'm getting all sorts of points for checking in on Foursquare places now that I never saw before, uh, which is uh, quasi-interesting, yet at the same time, totally ridiculous and uh, unnecessary game that does nothing. Anyway... For the second time in two weeks, Twitter has updated its iOS application. The update addresses how the new Quick Bar displays trending topics. The bar is now pinned to the top of the application and no longer covers tweets by floating down the screen while reading your feed. The change by Twitter was made due to negative feedback with the Quick Bar's edition last week. 
Apple on Wednesday made version 4.3 of iOS available for download to iPhone 3GS and GSM versions of the iPhone 4 handset. The update comes two days ahead of the announced release date and includes personal hotspot features as well as iTunes home sharing and faster Safari performance. The update is free for compatible devices and available for download through iTunes. Also, thanks to Tipby for creating a quick, useful guide on how to use the new home sharing feature. I will put a link in the show notes on how you can do that. With the iOS 4.3 release on Wednesday, Apple revised its policy for in-app purchases, now requiring the account holder's password to be entered each time the purchase within an app is attempted. The change is made after parents complained that their children incurred hundreds of dollars in charges because they didn't realize that they were spending real money on the in-app purchases. I can't believe that wasn't an option, at least before this time. That that really surprised me when I saw that story this week, that you have to, that it would give you a 15 minute window where it would keep that password cached. I, I really thought that was bad. Well, it, it kind of made sense if you were browsing the app store and downloading apps and, and you kind of knew what you were doing. But, you know, in the in the case where you had an in-app purchase and maybe you authorized someone to make an in-app purchase, then they could go and buy all sorts of other in-app purchases within that 15 minutes. So definitely a problem. Yeah, it should have had a little checkbox at the bottom of that dialogue that asks you for the password. Save this password for the next 15 minutes. And you just uncheck it and hit OK. I mean, it, it, it would have been so easy. <laughs> I can't believe it took them this many years to get that in there. Just unbelievable. Sometimes the decisions Apple makes are uh, are pretty amazing. And of course, that was there to make it easier to buy more applications. I mean, not having to put your password in is what they want. They want you to disconnect, you know, from, you know, clicking these fun little colorful buttons to actually actual money leaving your account. Yeah, and there's uh, there, there's something to be said for not having this built in. And and you're probably right. They probably said, well, you know, developers will appreciate it if you could, you don't have to do this. And you know, maybe think twice then about after type, typing your password one time, doing it multiple times in a row or whatever. But uh, yeah, definitely a, a nice change for those that were seeing their bills uh, sky high because of issues uh, with people making in-app purchases when uh, they weren't uh, authorized. Apple on Thursday updated iMovie to a universal application for the iPad 2, iPhone 4, and iPod Touch 4, and also made GarageBand available for the iPad 2. iMovie brings new themes and HD sharing uh, directly to YouTube, Facebook, Vimeo, and CNN iReport. GarageBand lets you create music with virtual instruments or plug in your own and record, edit, and share your music. Both are available for $5 in the iOS App Store. HP Thursday made WebOS 2.1 available to the Palm Pre 2. Updates include Flash, Exhibition Mode, Just Type, Stacked Cards, Improved Synergy, and the new launcher. Also, the Palm OS Emulator Classic has been modified by pre-central forum members to work with the new build, allowing older Palm OS software to run on the devices. The over-the-air update will be sent out to all users over the next few days. Microsoft Thursday confirmed copy and paste, better market search, and other features would still be coming to Windows Phone 7 handsets this month. The post on its blog stated that the company wants to take some extra time to evaluate the small update it pushed out starting in February to make sure it doesn't see a repeat of the problems that it had with some handsets during the update process. Yahoo this week announced its IMAP servers had been updated, fixing a recent issue where Windows Phone 7 devices were sending out 25 times more data than normal during the communication between the two. Tests on Thursday confirmed that the issue has been fixed. And finally in software today, Adobe announcing it would be rolling out Flash Mobile 10.2 to Android 2.2 Froyo and higher devices starting on March 18th. 
For Android 3.0 Honeycomb tablets, improvements include hardware acceleration for H.264 video and better integration with the Android 3.0 browser. For the phones, the update improves scrolling and overall performance of Flash within the browser, including improved support for touch-based software QWERTY keyboards and optimizations for newer hardware, such as those running two cores. The update will be downloadable from the Android market next Friday. Yeah, it's great this is coming to Zoom uh, because that really is a differentiating feature from the iPad to have uh, Flash support. And of course, it was really disappointing that they didn't get it out the door with Flash support. But this is coming soon. So I'd, I think this is going to be really good for uh, for Honeycomb and the, the Motorola Zoom. Yeah, I'm excited to to see that. I've got a Zoom right now, and uh, I will be definitely updating as soon as I possibly can to take advantage of this. It's one of the things that I have not been overly impressed with with most of the tablets out there. The Playbook is an exception to that. But the Flash uh, experience is just not all that great on a lot of the tablets. I was not impressed with it on the, the Galaxy tab from Samsung. So I'm hoping that the Zoom will uh, will, will impress me a little bit more. Flash uh, performance uh, disappoints me on my Core i5 uh, desktop computer with quad-core. So... Um, I'm, I'm not really surprised that your, you know, battery optimized, uh, devices don't really run flash very good. It's, it's a platform that I, 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 uh, full heartedly, uh, agree with the uh, Steve Jobs position on flash. Get rid of it. Mm. Well, I, I think there's, there's some stuff coming down the road with that. I mean, Adobe's even talking about, you know, doing some of these, uh, translate over to HTML5 type of, uh, applications that will, uh, I guess make things a little bit easier for, for the tablets to, to process the flash videos. Yeah, and of course, changes like that will really help. And and of course, there's a lot of good applications on Flash. But to me, it seems like it's just it's it's not a real uh, performance oriented platform. Mm, that's a that's a very very good point. And we've got two questions this week. The first one comes from Angel. He says, "Hey guys, quick question. I use GSM and have a, my son who's getting to the age where he's using a cell phone. Uh, I take the device from him at night so we don't have a midnight texting fest." I, my wife, uh, has also noticed that lately the SMS on his phone may have been deleted. Intentionally, we suspect. I know that these deleted messages may still be available to view via the SIM. Is there a product or a manner to view these messages? I appreciate any help that you can provide. All right, Angel, well, there are products out there. Uh, one specifically that I found is a SIM Manager that allows for a deleted message recovery. I don't have any first-hand experience with it, but the concept is actually pretty similar to that of a deleted file on a hard drive. You've got slots on the SIM card which hold a message. Usually there's you know a couple of dozen of them. And once a message is deleted, the content is still there on the SIM, but the slot state is shown as free so that the phone knows that it can overwrite that particular slot with the next message that comes in. I'm going to put a link in the show notes on a full how-to guide that will show you what you would need to purchase to get going on your research for this. But um, there's a number of services out there that do it. This one looked like one of the better ones. It's called Sim Manager, and it's from a company called Deckart, D-E-K-A-R-T.com. So I don't know, Joey, anything else uh, that you want to recommend to them? No, that's pretty much, uh, I think that's going to be your only option really uh, that's viable unless you've got, I mean, services from your carrier doesn't allow you to uh, archive those messages as far as I know. I know they keep copies of them, but I don't think they make it available for, for your use. I mean, I suppose unless you do something like uh, block text messaging and then restrict it down to Google uh, Voice or something, something that's kind of totally convoluted, but that uh, probably is more trouble than it's worth. Yeah, that's that, that's what I was going to say. It's probably not uh, not going to get you real far, but um, th- there's uh, there are some pla- some services out there that you can use that that will do this. And I'm guessing you've got a feature phone, and uh, so all those messages are stored on the SIM, and so you shouldn't have any problem recovering at least the most recent ones if you decide to go this route. 
Yeah, and obviously, you know, trust is kind of one of those things you have to just kind of uh, give them in the, in this kind of case, or um, just say that you can recover these uh, text messages easily, just even though you can't, but uh, say, say that you can and just leave it at that, I guess. Uh, I, I don't know. It's it's a tough issue. It, you know, sometimes these things are designed for security as well when you hit delete, so hmm. it may or may not work. Yeah, well, anyway, give it a try. We'll at least to get you on the path that you need to, uh, need to go to take a look at it. Uh, go in the show notes and uh, click on the link. Uh, right on question from Angel. That'll get you over to the site for Sim Manager. And finally, question from Mac. He says, I listened to one show of the Cell Phone Junkie and I got hooked. I had to buy the application. Now I have a question for you. Uh, as a longtime Verizon customer that's eligible for a new phone, I have an HTC Incredible, which the only thing I hate about is the battery life, uh, but the phone's speed makes up for it. And I was thinking about the HTC Thunderbolt or possibly waiting for the iPhone 5. I use a lot of internet, including the Android market. There are some things that I wish Android had that iTunes has, and vice versa with the iPhone. The big thing is that I have kids that love to watch Netflix, so I have an iPod Touch well and Wi-Fi to connect. I hate waiting for Netflix and Hulu taking their sweet time for releasing applications, I'm hoping for your views on this. Thank you, Mac. Well, uh, number one, I'll say, you know, the Incredible is, is, a, is a quite nice device, and I'm sure you are enjoying it. And yes, the battery life is one of the only things that I would, I would knock on it, especially right now. Um, but um, if you're going to be looking for what's the next best thing to buy uh, from Verizon, I, I would say you've got two very distinct differences between at least what we anticipate right now with the Thunderbolt and the iPhone 5, and that's the, uh, the, the inclusion of LTE. Now, the Thunderbolt should be out here within the next couple of weeks, and you'll be able to get yourself uh, LTE with that device, which will be very, very nice for streaming video, which, of course, would be you know beautiful for Hulu and Netflix. Uh, but with the iPhone 5, uh, you could potentially be seeing upgraded hardware that um, you know, will be, in, in, and of course, in more applications and you know, a wider range of things, of applications, um, but not necessarily that you're going to be able to see it this summer. That's still an issue that, that both Joey and I keep batting around is whether or not this is even going to be on Verizon this summer. Well, if we get an iPhone 5 this summer, it's going to have the, the core A5 that the new iPad 2 has in it, most likely here. So you'll have a dual core 1 gig uh, with probably upgraded memory. I don't remember what you said your iPhone 4 has, but it'll probably be 512 like 512. the iPad. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it'll probably remain unchanged. Um, I, I'm of the opinion that there's no way you're going to see an iPhone 5 on Verizon this summer. It's just too short of a release time. I think you're going to be off into the, to the fall or spring if we're going to see it at all this cycle. I have a feeling we're not going to see a Verizon refresh or CDMA refresh until next summer. So that's just my gut feel on this one. And, and that will probably then be the time you'll get LTE. Uh, maybe. Uh, I don't know if it'll be that year or the following year. However, you know, taking a step back here to the Thunderbolt, that is quite a, an in improvement in speed with LTE. And it's going to be a drastic improvement, especially this year when the SVDO becomes available because the Thunderbolt has that chipset in it that will support the simultaneous voice and data on the 3G network uh, when Verizon gets their network built out uh, fully with that. We, we don't exactly know the rollout yet, but uh, I believe it'll probably be, I'm sure this year that they'll get that uh, implemented. So uh, that's a pretty big uh, improvement with the Thunderbolt there. Obviously, the application support of Netflix is still, you're kind of at their mercy. So I don't know if that's going to be anything different. But of course, the platforms are completely different. You know, Android versus iPhone. They're just, it, it's almost hard to compare them. 
Mm. And uh, I'm gonna I go against kind of Joey at this point now with with how I feel the iPhone five rollout's gonna go. Um, I potentially see them coming out with it on Verizon because I, they got to sync up sometime. And now that they have an option for both the iPad two on Verizon and AT and T, I think the iPhone five could be that uh, that kind of go that way as well so uh but what i do not think is that we're going to see an lte device i think that is going to be next year i think that'll be the 2012 release for it um so and and i I said earlier that the you'd see obviously better speeds with lte which would be great for netflix and hulu unfortunately though um you know i don't know what hulu is going to do but fortunately netflix has talked about how they're going to require specific chipsets um you know for for netflix to function and so that i think the thunderbolt is one that will have that so while you can't do it on your incredible the thunderbolt should yeah i'm not sure about that one mickey that's a good point to check into that before getting the uh, the thunderbolt um obviously then the battery drain of lte probably at this point we don't really know how that's going to affect phones but i can't imagine it uh uh, not affecting the phone uh, battery. I mean, I'm sure it'll start sucking the battery down just as fast as you can get the data. So um, I'm sure that will be kind of an issue. That um, could be an issue as well. Um, and, and you're right, Mickey, the, it is possible the summer the iPhone 5 will be available on CDMA because of the, the talk we've heard that they're going to be unifying the chipset to the Qualcomm chipset, which will be the GSM and CDMA built into one iPhone. So it very well could be that we'll have a global you know, CDMA and GSM phone release this summer. I mean, that is, that's the one possibility where we would see a, a, a Verizon update this summer. Yeah. Well, uh, we won't know probably till maybe June before we, we, we know for sure what's going to happen with this, but, uh, overall, I think, I think we're going to see, we'll see a new device. I think so. Um, we'll see a new iPhone 5 for GSM at the, the very least. But, you know, if you're really into the Android, then I think the Thunderbolt is a pretty safe, uh, pretty safe bet to go with at this point in time. And I don't have any any real problems with it. I, I feel like they could have done more with with the, you know, with the upgrades with it. But it's going to be the first phone that comes out for Verizon that has the LTE. So I'm OK with um, an incremental step up from essentially what is you know the Thunderbolt or the uh, the Incredible, right? And it's just it's got the LTE built into it. But I, I was I was um, I think some of the marketing, the pre marketing that they've done for it, and the stretching out of what we thought was going to be the release of this thing has has turned some people off. That being said, there are there are more people excited about the Thunderbolt than pretty much any other device that's out there right now that's unreleased. It is just the phone that everybody wants to get their hands on. Well, I mean, well, it's a much bigger screen. It's a 4.3 versus 3.7. So that actually is a pretty big difference uh, as far as the, what you can see and what you interact with uh, all the time on the phone. Um, and uh, yeah, it's the very first LTE phone. I mean, look at how the, the Sprint Evo, I mean, that was a 4G phone and the, the reception, uh, no pun intended, was extremely positive for that. And the demand for it was very high, way more than I expected. So I, I, it's just natural that the Thunderbolt's got this attention. Mm. Well, I, I think overall you've got a great, a great product, uh, and I, I, I don't see that we're going to have anybody uh, touching this one for at least a couple of months. I mean, there's there's some talk of the, uh, you know, some some of the other devices that we saw at CES, and of course we've got CTIA coming up here. But this this one really needs to get itself out the door here within the next week or so, so that people are uh, excited still about it and they don't just overlook it for the next pieces of hardware that come out. Um, so anyway, uh, but thank you to uh, to both Onhel and to Mac for their questions this week. If you have one that you'd like to pass on to us for us to talk about on the show, you can send us an email to questions at 
at thecellphonejunkie.com or give us a call to 206-203-3734. Or if uh, texting is your thing, send us a message to 775-773-TCPJ. That's 8275. You can also follow all of the news that we write over on Facebook at facebook.com slash thecellphonejunkie or on Twitter at twitter.com slash cellphonejunkie. Of course, everything posted up over at thecellphonejunkie.com. If you'd like to follow Joey and I, I am at TCPJ underscore Mickey. Joey is at TCPJ underscore Joey. And both of us were chatting all about the iPad 2 launch this week. In fact, I was uh, calling around to all the Apple stores. So if you were in the Phoenix market and you were looking to figure out what had the shortest line, I was was letting you all know about that one. So Anyway, you can follow us on there, and we appreciate, again, everyone who listens to and follows us on the show. This has uh, been quite a quite an experience here, 250 shows coming up on five years in July, and uh, so we couldn't do it without all of you. Thank you for all of your interaction with us each and every week and uh, for, uh, for supporting us in what we love to do. So, Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.